Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by and Merry Christmas yesterday. Today, we're headed towards New Year's. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, maybe you got a Christmas cactus for Christmas. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, concerns, or ideas. And Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, uh, Santa Claus bring you anything? Uh, Santa Claus brings me something every day. Every day? Every day. Wow. Yes. Man, you're... You must be so, really a good person. Yeah. A good I, well, boy. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I figure now I can stop start being naughty again because, you know, he got an early start, then you can kind of get better as the year goes on. That's so. true. No, we uh, we had the, the stepdaughters over, and we had a few gifts to exchange, but none of us really need anything, right, you know, that's... and so you just uh, don't really need to get too much. Right. And so it works out pretty well. How about you? Perfect. Um Tracy gave me some money. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, that's nice. So that was yeah. just, she said, I don't know what to get you, so I'll just give you some money. You can give whatever you want. Now, what I said is, well, whenever we're out someplace, if you see something you want, I'll just get it for you that way. That's the way to do it. it's much easier. Than yeah. We, yeah. Were, we were talking earlier, and uh, you just don't know what to get somebody. You don't. Especially when, when, once you get you know older and older and older. Yeah. I certainly don't need another sweater. Yeah. Or... <laughs> Anything like that. Or socks or underwear. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's interesting because you just, uh, you don't want little knickknacks so much around because at our age, the house already has a lot of knickknacks in it. You're kidding. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to buy for people, but it's easier because you don't have to get something. So right. it's kind of nice. Sounds yeah. perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Worked out well. Perfect. Great. Yes, folks, it is Saturday morning, the day after Christmas, and we get together. All Saturdays, and we have a roundtable discussion about what's going on in your backyard. What are those squirrels doing? How can they be eating so many acorns? It's been unbelievable. When you walk underneath oak trees, wow. You can hear them up there chewing, and then you, if you stay in there long enough, you can start to feel the debris come down and kind of hit you in the head and get in your hair and everything else. Or maybe you have a specialty garden space, or maybe you'd like to have one. Or your house plants? Did you get an orchid, or did you get a amaryllis, or did you get a Christmas cactus for 
Christmas. What is potting mix, by the way? And how do you improve your soil so you're going to have better growth of your plant material? And when you're bored, should you be out there pruning or shearing things? Or what are those bags hanging off those evergreens? <sighs> they kind of scare me. Anyway, using the information I'll share with you is helps you maybe solidify your options with the final judgment of the action you're going to take. It's going to be on your shoulders. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is Mr. O'Sullivan. He's producing today. And uh, so if you have any questions, just call in. He'll answer the phone, and then he maybe wants to know where you're calling from, so we can kind of keep track of that a little bit. But uh, I'm Mike Miller, and I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. That was the last century. Oh, my goodness. And I can come to your home and do landscape consultations if you'd like for me to. I call them walk and talks. You can go to my, my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com on the homepage. There's my email address and phone, or, phone number. rest of my website I've kind of uh, got bored with or whatever. So don't look at any of the other pages. So let's get moving. The Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Originally, I was going to go by the Botanical Garden and check out the Garden Glow because they used to run it because when I take my good gardening stroll, it's always still dark because of the way you know, the world is. But uh, I drove by and there was hardly any light. There was a few trees that were highlighted, but nothing out of the ordinary. And they used to leave them on all night long. So, oh, unfortunately, but you still got time to go to the garden and see the garden glow. All you have to do is uh, make a reservation. And uh, they'll let you in. You can stroll around as much as you want to. So anyway, I decided to head up Shaw a little bit eastward. And went to the St. Mary of Scotland Community Garden. It's embraced by a wrought iron black fence. It's completely cleaned out. Usually these community garden type things have stuff left over or people plants let's say fall, uh, cold season, whatever's, kales or you know, lettuce or things like that. But uh, apparently not here. They've got everything all cleaned out. It really looks nice. This garden was established in 2008, and it's now they've named it Dragon's Grove. And that's because St. Mary of Scotland is actually a school, and it's the dragons. So that that's new. I hadn't seen that before, and I, you know, I take my good gardening stroll there every X amount of months, and we drive by there on the way here, there, or whatever. And it's supported by several different corporations. And the school is part of, that's St. Mary's of Scotland School, part of the Urban Education Alliance of Schools. And this is located at the corner of Shaw and Lawrence, and uh, it's just east of the Missouri Botanical Garden. And there's 11 raised beds. Like I said, they're all cleaned out. There's two different pavilions. One looks like the earth, so you're sitting underneath a globe, and only it's cut in half, so it's really kind of cool. And then another one that I think they grow vines on, if I, I'm pretty sure. There's a shed that has a rain barrel that's been painted very nicely. There's two different benches that are, are two different kinds of benches that are in permanent location, and then some chairs if you want to sit someplace other than where the benches are. It's really a tranquil spot on this cold morning, and it was pretty cold, I'll tell you what. And the sun was rising, 
And uh, I got out, and or when I was walking around and taking a look at everything, uh, Forest Relief had planted some new trees on the outside of the fence, and there are several trees that are mature on the inside. I'm sure those were probably planted at the same time the garden was established in 2008. And uh, th- those trees during the summertime provide a nice shaded oasis. Fallen leaves from the neighborhood had been blowing around, but there uh, wasn't a whole abundance, and the lawn had been recently cut, so everything really looked nice. So I started to get a little bit cool, and uh, I thought, well, maybe it's time to go. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Hi, it's Amy Marks Scores, and the holiday season is here. From my family to yours, I wish you all the very best. Happy holidays from KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Maybe Santa Claus brought you a gift certificate from a retail garden center. And uh, you don't know, let's see, you don't have a whole lot of space in your yard to put something. Uh, Well, don't rush. There's plenty of time to try to figure it out. And uh, also just remember Protect your plants. The best thing you can do is understand what plant that you're actually going to be planting and what kind of mature, you know, how big it's going to be at maturity and also what's the best location for it. A lot of times, many of the problems that we are having with plant material is because they weren't planted in the best location possible for them. And if it was a circumstance or a situation where you made a mistake or somebody made a mistake and gave you a plant that uh, wasn't going to work anyway. Well, what you can do, you don't necessarily have to just toss the thing out um, immediately, but what you can do is just grow it in a container or a pot for several years, and then finally as the thing matures and gets too big or whatever, I'm talking about hardy plant material as well as tropicals, and then just go ahead and bring it, uh, you know, either you get tired of bringing in and out and everything else, uh, then you've got several years out of it, and that's probably the best thing to do. So, again, planting, uh, you know, regardless of what type it is, whether it's a perennial, whether it's a ground cover, whether it's a tree, shrub, or anything else, in a location that's the best spot possible for that plant is going to make it so there's going to be less problems from virtually diseases, insects, and all the other things. Yes, they may still have those things happen, but they're going to be less impactful. That's kind of the the difference about it. And also, uh, plant material-wise, as cold as it's been, hopefully the plants that uh, really need the mulch, you've already gotten the mulch on them. But you can still mulch, you know, because the ground is cold. You're always better to wait until the ground does get cold to put the, you know, any kind of new mulch down. And the amount, the depth of mulch is really crucial, too, because that can cause problems. You think you're doing something just good for the plant material? Well, not necessarily. If it's too deep, it can cause problems. And if you pile it up, you know, next to the trunk of a tree or you bury some of the lower parts of shrubberies as far as the stems and everything, that can make problems due to moisture, you know, right there. And... um 
right next to the bark. So those are you know things that you need to be concerned with and worry about as well. So it's orchestrating from the very beginning is going to be the best thing that you can possibly do. And uh, make sure that when you do put a mulch down, that it's good quality mulch. And not just something, let's say there's been some tree trimmers in your neighborhood lately, and they've taken a tree down and they've run the, the branches through the chipper, and they ask you, would you like these? And you say, no, don't take those. Because they need to be really, let's say, cooked or composted before you start putting them around plant material. Because raw plant material like that th- recently through a chipper, and I'm not just talking about right then, even within a week or so, what the, it does, it can absorb moisture up out of the ground. It can bind up nutrients. So, again, you're creating more problems than you are good. So just be very conscious of that. If you happen to grow edibles and th- things like strawberries, hopefully you've already mulched your strawberries. And the strawberries, you just want to kind of cover them so you don't see them a whole lot. You don't see a whole lot of them. That's the best thing. And your blackberries and raspberries and things like that, um, same sort of thing. No, you're not going to bury the whole thing. Heavens no, you can't. You, I mean, that would be totally crazy. But uh, with those, as the canes get bigger and older, they're going to stop producing you know, fruits or they won't produce as much. So as these colonize and sort of migrate away from the location where they were originally planted, the older, bigger canes just cut those out and allow the newer ones, the younger ones, to have, let's say, all the nutrients and everything that can be absorbed up by the root system. So that's something that you really be concerned with. Also, take a look out if you planted any tulips, daffodils, crocus, or any kind of uh, spring flowering bulbs and see if you get your some of the foliage is coming up. I'm seeing it in a couple different locations, in ground and also in a pot, you know, in some of the pots. So don't panic or anything else about that. That's not the flower bulb that's, you know, or the actual flower stem that's coming up. That's strictly foliage, so you don't have to be concerned with it. It may, through due to the cold and everything else, the tip may have a little bit of burn brown spot on it. But in essence, it doesn't really hurt them at all. And if you do have any kind of summer bulbs that you dug up and you have them stored, I'm going to check mine out. I have some that I, some cannas that I just leave in the garage. And uh, I just, every year I do it a little bit differently. I, the majority of them I put in like big plastic containers with potting mix and just you know bury them in the plastic container. But then the other ones I just just so I can kind of watch and see what happens, see how tough they are. I leave just sit out in the full open, and some I cover with just a, let's say a tarp or something and see if there's actually any difference in those two things at all as far as their ability to survive. So other things that you need to be, you know, con- <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> concerned with is plant material is root systems. So if you don't have a good root system, then it's going to be tough. So you really have to, you know, work the soil really well so the plants can grow laterally with the ro- with the root system. That's really what's crucial. Planting too deep can lead to root suff- suffocation and also development of stem girdling roots as well. So when you plant too deep, and then you know planting too deep with the rains that we have, if you got a low spot where you planted and it's not a plant that can handle a real wet circumstance, then you know the suffocation is due to drowning. 
So just be conscious of that. And irrigation practices have a major impact on the quality of the root system and the environment for all ornamentals in the landscape. And uh, irrigation requires a, a green turf. Midsummer is better than uh, what you possibly can, th- you know, you might think. But uh, in midsummer, you don't want to water too much, if, especially on cool season lawns like bluegrasses and fescues, because then you might f- force some fungus and things along that line. The d- height that you set your mower blade is going to be really important. You don't let the grass blades get too tall, whether it's a warm season grass like zoysia or whether it's a cool season grasses like fescues or bluegrasses because if they get too long and then we have, a, let's say, a series of rain, then it's going to sort of like force them to lay down on top of each other and that could cause some problems as well. So many of the woody ornamentals in the landscape do not require, you know, a whole lot of fertilizer. Many times we think, once, you know, we're worried about our plants not having the right nutrients, but if you prepared the soil correctly initially before you planted with organic matter and everything else, that's going to be more efficient than doing uh, the fertilizing. Yes, fertilizing can help, and it does, you know, and some soil amendments are essential, like sulfurs and irons and things like that, depending upon the type of plant material. But just realize that fertilizing is not going to make a plant recover. And this is including, you know, your house plants. you got some house plants, oh, they're not looking so good. So you think, well, maybe if I feed them, then they'll be better and that'll help them recover. But not necessarily. A lot of times when we do fertilize, uh, it's like when, let's say, we're not feeling well. You don't necessarily want to sit down and have a big, huge meal while you're not feeling well. So just keep that in mind as well. So fertilizing is not the best thing you can do. And for the most part, I, you know, personally, I prefer to whatever label rate the company says on the container or the bag or whatever of the fertilizer, uh, I usually would rather do it a half label rate and do it two different times, like a week or two apart, as opposed to putting it all down at once. Uh, December is a time of year when... You know, you look out the window and all the trees, deciduous trees are really kind of ugly and things like that, but they're not really ugly. But uh, you can certainly on dogwoods, uh, magnolias and trees like that, you're going to see the flower buds for next spring sitting there ready to go. I walked by a tree the other day and and with the dogwood, the, the, the classic native dogwood, the flower bud will have kind of a round top. But the, the Kusa dogwood, which is a dogwood from Japan and blooms a couple weeks later than our native dogwood, its flower bud will have kind of a point to it. So I was a little surprised that this house is not necessarily a house where uh, the people are really into plant material, but somebody advised them to get a Kusa dogwood. So it was just full of buds, and that was really kind of nice to see. Other things, too, I'm curious, with all these inflatable things that people are having in their yards— and then uh, the majority of them during the day, they just kind of lay down and you talk about humidity, plastic laying on the ground in those circumstances, uh, you know, four or six weeks of that. Is that going to make it so those spots don't recover as a result of, let's say, a fungus, even a wintertime fungus? Because there are funguses that grow in the heat of the summertime, but also there are some that grow uh, later on in the season. So just realize that. And the ones that grow in the cooler seasons, 
They're not nearly as deadly as the ones in the warmer seasons, but what they do is kind of weaken the, your lawn or your plant material, and then that makes it so the other plants or the other fungus can have an adverse impact when the weather starts warming up. So, and talk about goofy weather. I mean, just think about in the last week or two, how many different fluctuations we've had with temperatures. I'll be interested to see if it's going to get up to, you know, to 50, like they were saying, or a lower 40 or upper 40s or whatever it happens to be. But a few days ago, basically you could wear, you know, I wear shorts year round, but uh, you could wear flip flops and shorts and, uh, you know, and be fairly comfortable. And then, you know, all of a sudden, the last two days have been absolutely brutal. I couldn't believe I stepped out the door because I take a walk, you know, besides my good gardening stroll, I just take a walk early in the morning and just how actually cold it was the other morning. This morning wasn't as bad as I thought, but there was no wind. But if we, you know, if you get out there and that's winds and you, you look at the computer and it says the temperature is 21, but it feels like minus six you know that that's going to be a little bit tough, and it's going to be tough on the plant materials too. So that that goes back to what I was talking about with the flower buds. The flower buds on the trees, you know, it hasn't been bad enough yet to cause any kind of damage, but that's where a lot of times some of our spring flowering trees, like crab apples or things like that, whose buds aren't quite as protected as some of the other plant materials, we kind of, you get no, you know, spring flowering, you know, no spring flowering at all because the weather got so cold it actually froze them. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I realize that you're uh, recovering from uh, Christmas yesterday. Wow. It was kind of a wild time just in general with the coldness and everything else. How Santa Claus made it to everybody's house. And you're very happy with what he left for you. We left, uh, I forgot. No, we didn't leave it. Leave something out for Santa, you know, the cookies and the milk or the hot chocolate or whatever you choose. And I just got tied up with a bunch of other stuff. So anyway, not a big deal by any means. But uh, so just give us a call and we can talk about whatever you like. Uh, It's a good time of year when it is, you know, it's cold. You don't necessarily want to be out necessarily working in the yard. But you can do some equipment maintenance or equipment maintenance, like sharpening your mower blades. That's really important because a dull mower blade shreds the top of the grass while you're cutting it. And that leads to a circumstance which can make it much more prone to disease problems. So just realize that. Also, it's, I mean, setting your mower blade Continue. You're going to still continue to cut your grass, your cool season lawns. You don't want the grass blades, as I talked about a little bit earlier, to get too long because if they elongate and they start laying down when we have ice, rain, snow, or anything like that, then it just sets up a scenario for the fall or cool season fungus 
and that just weakens your plant material just kind of in general. So sharpening your, your mower blades is really important. So this time of year, you want to set your mower blades for the, your fescues and bluegrasses about three and a half to four inches. And uh, hopefully you've made your final cut on your zoysia. But it's surprising, you know, with the zoysia, even though it's not green, it seems to elongate a little bit because I noticed the other day there's a couple spots where it's taller than it is in other parts of my lawn. So probably after the show today, I'm going to be out and doing a little bit of mowing. Let's head over to Belleville, and Tom's going to be our first caller of the day. Tom, how are you today? Oh, I'm good. Great. You're talking about Zoysia. I'm a Zoysia man. We're tearing down a building in a couple of weeks, and the whole yard is Zoysia. And my yard has has Zoysia. I've lost some and gained some because of my big trees. But I want to, can I transplant that Zoysia into my yard at this time of the year? Uh, It's probably not advisable. You could try it, but it might be a lot of work, physical, mental, and everything else. And the end result might, you know, you might end up with nothing. Because sod farms don't cut, you know, sod, this, you know, don't cut. They've stopped cutting zoysia for multiple weeks now. They still, they may not be cutting, let's say, fescues and bluegrasses because of just the coldness in general that's not going to sell. But uh, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to probably uh, just, like, keep your fingers crossed. But I don't think you're going to have much luck with it. So even if I rented a sod cutter... You know, and use it in both locations where right. I'm taking it from yeah. and where I'm putting it. If, Like I said, if you want to give it a shot, you can, and you can call back and say, you know, we did have success with it. But uh, it's just, it doesn't transition really well because a sod cutter does, you know, cr- you know, go underneath the ground enough to create adequate root systems for the zoysia to get established or any other sod, really. But uh, ultimately, when the ground is this cold... Uh, it's not going to really encourage any kind of root growth at all. And then when we get a really cold snap or cold just like this is enough, then because the root system's not established in the zoysia, it's not going to be able to, uh, you know, withstand the cold. So then the, the crowns are going to get killed. So the crowns are where the blades and the root system meet. Appreciate that. Can I ask one more question? Sure. Are tulips, should you treat I just planted a couple of weeks ago 232 tulips around us, and I'm pretty well treating them as an annual. Is that the way to do it? Pretty much. With the tulips, yes. I mean, you might get two years out of them, but for the most part, the way they've been hybridized over the last few years, and it's the same varieties from long ago, but you can go into older neighborhoods, and I mean, even around vacant or abandoned homes, you can see tulips come up, and they've been coming up for multiple years but even regardless of how the ideal situation, about two years is about, and that's not even 100% of your bulbs, you're going to get flowers off of them. You might get the foliage, but not the flowers. So, yeah, treat them as yeah. annuals. That's the smartest thing to do. Yeah, that seems to be it. Well, thank you, sir. Certainly, my pleasure. Anybody else has questions? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. One of the things I was talking about, mixing plant materials together, many people like the vine, the perennial vine, clematis. And clematis are great. I mean, they have wonderful colored flowers. 
like the sweet autumn clematis is one of my favorites, even though it is very invasive. And people have called in before when I've said, you know, I really like it. They say don't recommend planting it because it is invasive. It sends, it produces seeds, and the seeds blow, and they, you know, germinate in other people's yards and things along that line. But clematis like an alkaline soil. So an alkaline soil means, guess what? They need lime. And also lilacs, they need lime as well. So you cannot, or you're better off not to plant, let's say, clematis near dogwoods or clematis near azaleas in, say, in close proximity because azaleas and dogwoods and hollies and things along that line, they want an acidic soil. So in other words, they want sulfur in their ground. And so consequently, sulfur is for the acidic plants. And then the alkalinity comes from, uh, let's say, lime for the alkaline lovers. So when you put them in close proximity, then they're always going to, the soils are going to be really confused on what's, you know, what's what. And that's where the real trouble comes in. So do a little bit of research. Aesthetically, yes, you want to have plants that really you like a whole lot. But by making sure that they want to have the same kind of soil is the best thing you can possibly do. And later on in the season, it's obviously going to be a couple months from now, realize that, you know, any plant, whether it's a tree, whether it's a shrub, whether it's a perennial, whether it's a ground cover, and even annuals, flowering is really saps a whole lot of energy. So consequently, you know, if you've got something that's in flower, yes, that's great. And if it's a perennial, but when they finish flowering, unless it's a continuous flowering or a long-term flowering one, you're better off to just to cut the flowers off as soon as they finish. And that's the same thing with uh, the bulbs. You know, we we're talking about tulips. It's not going to make that much difference with the tulips, but your daffodils, your crocus, your grape hyacinths, and things like that, that flower in the springtime, when they finish flowering, just go ahead and cut the flowers off, leave the foliage until it finally dry, you know, dies down on its own. And then when it dies, it's going to still be there above the surface, the foliage, and then go ahead and cut it off at that time. So, you you know, that's the best thing to do. It's a little bit more maintenance, but you're going to have better plant material as a result of it. And so just kind of keep, you know, keep things in mind. And you say, well, that's going to be a whole lot of work. Well, manage the amount of plant material that you have, not according to, you know, let's say impulse buying or anything like that. You, you've picked the best spots. You've planted plant material that uh, needs the same type soil, alkaline or acidic or whatever it happens to be, in close proximity. That's great. But still, watch out with the amount of plant material you do have because you don't want it to turn into a burden. Let's head to St. Louis Hills and go over to Ed's yard. Hi, Ed. Uh, good morning. Hi. Uh, I, uh, I just want to – I got a couple of comments. Uh, I listen to the show every Saturday. And I really get a kick out of when you and Mr. Kelly talk. I like your little clever banter at the beginning of the show. Oh, thanks. You guys are funny. Uh, and secondly, I live in St. Louis Hills, and later this morning, I'm gonna, when it warms up a little bit, I'm going to take a bike ride, and I go through Wilmore Park. And I'll tell you, I think you should take a stroll through Wilmore Park because that is really a beautiful park, and I and I and I would just want to give a kind of a shout out to the park department and the forestry department for 
really taking good care of that park. Yeah, I agree. I walk in Wilmore Park occasionally. So, I mean, it's not that we live on, you know, up by Christie Park, and Wilmore Park's pretty close. And yeah. if the fact it runs along River to Pear and it has a couple really great lakes and everything well, else. It's 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 beautiful and well-maintained. And on a, yes. on a note of Christie Park, I, I was riding by the, uh, your intersection in, uh, this this week, and I... I can't figure out which one's your house, because, uh, but, but I'm, I'm better off probably not knowing. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. <laughs> well, I don't mind, you know, just so you don't throw eggs or something, because, no. Basically, our house is at the corner of Rosa and Carlsbad, so, and it looks right out on Christie Park, so a lot of times... Our, you know, the front of our house, we have a really strange house where our streets, you know, the name of our our address is on the actual street, but our front door with the address is on the op- opposite street. So that kind of makes it a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it's just a neat, you know, a neat place. And one of the things, speaking of the, you know, house, the house was built in 49, the same year, 1949, same year I was born. And it still has a steel casement windows in it. I know those are environmentally inefficient and everything else. But I'll tell you, yesterday morning when I got up and those steel casement windows, they're not really good insulators or anything else. But the north windows, which are not the windows that look out on the park, which, you know, they look like giant, you know, a snowstorm. All these, let's say, fragments of, uh, let's say, crystallized, you know, moisture and everything else due to the heat on the inside and the coldness on the outside made it really look spectacular. So I'd be, you know, I don't want to say hesitant, but, uh, you know, to take those out. And also they're way, they're so huge that uh, it probably costs a small fortune. But anyway, so if you do have any questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. I get penalized if I start too soon. Well, anyway, let's uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, let's head to Afton and go into Suzanne's yard. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Mike. Hi. How are you today? Very good. Thanks for having me on. I have an issue with some hard maples in my yard. Um, I noticed last winter one of the mature ones was uh, it had some branches that had died and it was dropping them and so on. And then I noticed later on in the winter some smaller ones, something had completely stripped off bark on a lot of the branches so i'm wondering if that's what's going on with the upper branches in the big one and would that like be squirrels or or mice or something is there some way i can deter it and also it uh i guess what would be the best time of year to have those trimmed up uh generally i always recommend if it's dead wood that can be done anytime with the maples i like to you know prune just in general routine maintenance pruning in the warmer weather because there's less sap flow because the maples, you know, have a higher degree of sap flow during the wintertime than most of the other trees, which 
But uh, the tree services, you can call, and that will, they will let you know the best thing. But mature trees are going to have dead wood. I mean, there's no getting around it. Every branch cannot live, you know, the same right. length of time. And as far as, you know, the stripping of the bark, it could be several different things, but, you know, more than likely it's probably the squirrels. Okay. Okay. The, and any any suggestions there? The two the two little trees that they did it to, I think the one will make it. I don't think the other one will. Does it help to try to put a barrier around the trunk? I, I mean, they can just hop up there, obviously, right. from the ground if they're small trees. And now... But, is it like is it a whole bunch of branches that are looking like the bark has been stripped off? Because I've had this kind of conversation with somebody from Afton that she thought it was deer, and I said, "Well, I don't think there's deer in Afton." And then somebody called later on in the show and said, "There are deer in Afton. You don't know what you're talking about." So, well, I have a fence yard, so I kind of doubt it's deer. Well, deer can jump over. You know where Grant's farm well, is? You see how big yeah. that fence is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not too far from there, so. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, gosh, I never even thought about that. Here I was, you know, cussing out the squirrels, you know. Right. Every time I saw one, because um, we have a lot of them around here. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, dear, there's not too much you could do about that then. I guess. No, I mean, I it guess really you could isn't. spray something on it, but I yeah, know. or I mean, even hanging, you know, some. I don't know how big these uh, trees are that they they've been marking, but. Uh, Anyway, if it is deer, if you hang bars of Irish Spring soap, that smell okay. is a deterrent. Okay. I'll, I, maybe I'll try that. Maybe it'll keep squirrels away, too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They'll probably so. eat some of it. Like, I can't, yeah. you know, speaking of that, I know you got to run, but, uh, you know, so a lot of people have left their pumpkins out. I can't believe how many pumpkins that are, the squirrels have eaten, you know, big pieces and big chunks out of them. You know, small amounts at a time, but uh, it's really amazing how adaptable they've become with the eating pumpkins sitting on people's front porches. Oh, yeah. I cannot leave mine out uh, going too far into the winter season because I think chipmunks and mice get mine. Ah. And you can tell there's tiny little bite marks and, you know, every day there's a little more and a little more. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So. Well, thanks, Suzanne. Thank you. Bye-bye. And let's head from Afton out to Wentzville and see what's going on with Barb. Hi, Barb. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, question one about cactus. <clears throat> after they, Christmas cactus, after they bloomed, uh, what do you, how do you take care of them the rest of the year? Basically, they want to have a cool environment, but they need the sun. So if you've got a sunny window that's, you know, cool, away from heat vents and all that other stuff. Right. That's the best thing you do is just set it there and kind of don't overwater. Even though they're a tropical plant, that's why they're house plants. You know, you don't think of you know cactus in the tropical right. parts of the world, but uh, just you know, kind of water what? the water the plant and see and lift it up, lift the pot up a little bit and see how heavy it feels. Then, you know, every so often, every week or so, then lift it. When it starts feeling really light, then you you should water it at that time. Or you can just watch the inside of the pot, and when it starts shrinking away, the potting mix, from the inside of the pot, you can water it at that time. But definitely watch out. You're better off to underwater as opposed to overwater. Why do, why do... Why do not they not bloom the whole entire plant? Why does just some of it bloom? 
Uh, generally, this, you know, it's kind of hard to say. It's, you could say that about pretty much anything, but usually the you know you know where the blooms are just on the end mm-hmm. of those you know individual uh-huh. stems and things like that. Are you saying you have some stems that don't have any blooms on them at all? Right. Yeah. Why right. that's you know, the case? And one plant failed to bloom at all this year. Uh, healthy and same condition and everything, but it failed to put out any blooms at all. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's the quirkiness of nature, <laughs> okay. to be honest. I mean, there's no there's no explanation. There's nothing you can do that's going to make it any different than, uh, you know, than what you've experienced. Then, so it might bloom next year. Right, it may very well. So just, you just, just hang on. The, uh, the same with, I have a lot of philodendron plants, large uh, you know, they might get runners of three, four feet on them. Uh, they get yellow leaves. So, and I, I test with a, uh, a moisture probe uh, to see whether we need to water or not. I know it's the old game of too little, too much. Right. So, you, so there's just no way of knowing. Uh, you know, I have a lot of them that get yellow leaves, and I got to peel them off. Now, are these at the end of the stem, or are they kind of back no. towards it? No, yeah, midway. Yeah, that's just older leaves. So even when I worked at the uh, Botanical Garden in the Climatron, we would have, we had philodendrons climbing on this and, you know, various right. things, too. And there's going to, I mean, leaves get old, and they just, just you know, they just kind of, mm. yeah. Oh, okay. They just yeah. go yellow. I've got, yeah, go around and peel two or three off of a lot of plants. Right. Okay. So, you know, don't panic or anything else. It sounds like you're quite the grower. I have uh, maybe 30 plants in the house. (laughs) That, yeah, yeah, I love all of that. But, okay. Yeah. And if, Thank you. Yeah, ultimately, if you have any questions about your Christmas cactus, when things get back to normal, there is a, a cactus society, and you could, you know, attend a couple cactus society meetings, and the people that are members of these societies know a huge amount about plant material. And also, um, check the Botanical Garden website, mobot.org. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, the tip of the trial hour is now. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes. uh, How about the birds? Busy. Busy, busy, busy. Because it's super cold? Uh, Well, it it kind of started about a couple weeks ago when the finches kind of replaced the hummingbirds. Because, you know, in the summer we have a lot of hummingbirds and not many finches. Well, now the finches, we've got, I've got three finch feeders out there. There's a lighthouse that's the best finch feeder I have. Because the one thing that's cool, it's got a light. And so at night you can see how empty it is without having to check it. But they (laughs) empty that thing. I, I went out yesterday morning, I guess it was, and filled up the feeders. And within like two hours, it was probably six inches down. Wow! And this was a thistle seed, right? Thistle seed, yeah. Right. And then I got two other feeders. That there's there were at least twenty finches on the three feeders yesterday. So and then there was a bunch on the ground. So, so underneath your uh, feeders, you just whatever debris falls. Yeah. Just, 
Because I was uh, walking by a house the other day, and they had a, f- a feeder in their front yard. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they did is they put a wagon underneath the feeder so they wouldn't get all that <laughs> a good sea idea. debris. Yeah. I've never seen that before. I, I thought it was very either. clever. <laughs> no, we just have a, there's, our, our main feeders are in kind of a, an area that is a little elevated from the yard, and mm-hmm. so that's where it all falls. And so I just let it go. And then, you know, the other birds come along and look for scraps. Sure. Uh, have a bunch of robins that are, I haven't raked in the back. And so they're they're in the leaves. And you can, like, hear them rustling in the leaves. You right. can't really see them. It's kind of like they're gophers under there. <laughs> and then you'll see them kind of pop out from the leaves. And there's, you know, we have a bunch of robins. And, of course, the cardinals are just gorgeous this right. time of year. They're so pretty. Absolutely. And uh, the the woodpeckers. So uh, very busy. And, and I stood there yesterday quite Quite a bit. Just go look out the window and just watch them for a while. Always activity. Sounds perfect. It's cool. Great. It's really fun. Well, thanks. And thanks to you for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection if you'd like. I was uh, talking about plant material and cold weather and everything else. I've seen a couple petunias still blooming. Now, I haven't walked past the particular house that I saw them uh, these last two days, but they were looking pretty fine. And the pansies, people that are taking care of them, they really still look good. And they're cool season. Now, when it gets maybe this cold, they may lay down. But they should perk back up, up, up if they were healthy. So those are the kind of things that have really kind of caught me by surprise to see petunias blooming this late. I always thought petunias were a little bit weak. But uh, you never know. Bulbs, how about, uh, as I said in the last hour, you could start to see some of your spring flowering bulb pushing foliage up, you know, above the surface. Don't get into a panic. You don't have to put more mulch on on top of them or anything else. How's your ground covers? All the leaves that are blowing in and everything else. Uh, speaking of leaves, thanks to Char- Two Doors Down Charlie for uh, taking care of some of the leaves yesterday. He was out on Christmas Day blowing leaves. So, wow. Crazy Charlie. No, he's not crazy. But he just wanted to get out because he knew the leaves were really, uh, since where we live, they blow up out of the park. And, I mean, we get huge amounts. Your perennials, your roses, your trees, your fall-blooming perennials, just leave that foliage, stems, and everything else there. So on your asters, your mums, and plants like that, because it helps protect the crown of the plant for the wintertime. Your roses, if you have hybrid teas, grandiflores, floribundas. Those type need six or eight inches of mulch over the stems of that. The shrub roses just treat like you do a regular shrub, so any place between two and four inches. Your trees, your vines, and your water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. And Mr. O'Sullivan is across the board. He's producing, so I'll answer the phone and ask you where you're calling from. During the week, I do landscape consulting and sometimes on the weekends as well. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and uh, you can contact me, and we can schedule a walk and talk for your landscape, where I'll come in and uh, answer the questions that you have, but also keep my eyes open, ears open, and everything else for things that might be impacting your landscape that you hadn't considered. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out, again, to some of uh, the uh, plant societies. I understand they're probably not meeting because of this whole COVID circumstance. But there are plant societies for all kinds of different plant material. 
And like the Metropolitan St. Louis African Violet Council, the Mid-America Regional Lily Society, the Mid-Illinois Iris Society, the Newtown Garden Club, and that's Newtown and St. Charles, the O'Fallon Garden Club, that's in Illinois, and there's an O'Fallon Garden Club also in Missouri. So there's garden clubs all over the place. So if you have any interest at all or you'd like to share maybe some of your expertise, attending a garden club meeting is just absolutely fantastic. So just understand that. So tip of the trial goes out to those individual plant societies. Uh, Why don't we take a couple calls before we go on break? Let's go to Linda, and she lives in Pacific. Hi, Linda. Well, hello, Mike. Hi. Um, I did a walk. You came out to my property out in Pacific, and we did a walk and talk, and you helped me incredibly. So I just want to thank you for that. And it was several years ago, but um, I am really all about the walk and talk because it did help me. Um, I wanted to call because of the lady that was calling about her Christmas cactus. Um, I have a Christmas cactus, and it is blooming, like, profusely. And stamens that are so big and so profuse, I mean, I've never seen it look like this. And then this year, it's always been red. Mm-hmm. And this year, I have three red, beautiful blooms with huge stamens. And I have a two purple ones. Whoa. I've never, and it's on the same plant. Two beautiful purple ones that are huge with their own, like, huge stamens. I mean, I took pictures of it and sent it to everybody I know that has a Christmas cactus. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen a purple bloom on this cactus. (laughs) I don't know why, but it I don't know. It's great. And my African violet that sits right next to it is blooming blooming profusely as well. (laughs) Well, it sounds fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like a miracle. It's like a Christmas miracle in the midst of the COVID. <laughs> Something I've never seen before. And it just made me smile, and I just wanted to share that. Great. And I don't know if anybody else has ever had that happen on one plant, but I have now years of red ones, and now I have a, three red ones and a, two beautiful purple ones. Sounds so, perfect. Yeah, so I just wanted to share that. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for your comments about me coming out to your home. You know, I don't, you know, I'm terrible as far as remembering, uh, remembering individual homes, but uh, I'm sure I had a very nice time meeting and talking with you about your landscape. We did. We had a great time. And, great. And yes, and I've seen you several times at the garden and all that, you know, and, and I love seeing you. I love listening to your show. I listen to it every week. And um, you always, you always put a smile on my face and you always tell me something I need to know. Well, great. Like, I don't have. I don't have weeds in my yard anymore because I do the pre-emergence twice a year. Perfect. <laughs> I would have known that if not listening to your show. <laughs> so thank you for everything that, you know, you do for us on our show. Great. Well, thank you. And let's see if we can get another call in before break. Uh, Jim lives in St. Charles. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a question for you about uh, some azalea bushes I have. So these were planted about five or six years ago. And they're probably about two and a half feet tall and maybe three and a half feet wide. Um, but they, they don't bloom. So one year, they each had one or two flowers on them, but that's it. And so um, I talked to the landscaper that planted them. He suggested I fertilize them. So I fertilized them one year. That didn't make a difference. And then this year, they're, they're sitting under against my house and under a, uh, a large Japanese maple, a lot large yeah, Japanese maple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I turned it back so it got more sun. 
Um, and the only other thing is the leaves are not really a deep, solid green. They're kind of mottled, you know, they have different colors, like Ooh. spotted. So what would you, do I need to put more like acid in the soil or what do I need to do? Uh, you basically, you need to change the pH of the soil. You use sulfur for that, but then also to change the color of the leaves, if it's related to the chemistry, then you need to put iron. So you need to get iron sulfate. So that would be the thing to put down. And also realize there's insects that can impact broadleaf evergreens like azaleas, uh, thrips. And they feed on the underside of the leaf. And when they stick their proboscis or their, let's say, their needle nose in and take a little drink off the leaves, that can leave some spots too. So just realize it could be two different things. But I would go after the soil first. And it's going to probably, depending upon how long they've been, let's say, discolored, it could take two different, two years before you're going to get the color back and, you know, back to where it should be. So, okay. So you're suggesting then I add sulfur and iron sulfate? Yeah, no, just iron sulfate. That has both okay. both the okay. iron and the sulfur together, unless okay. you want to buy them separate. That way, if you get iron sulfate, it's already blended. And what time of year do I need to do that? Uh, I do it once a year? Yeah, basically uh, maybe even once a year, probably I would say sometime in early spring before you start to see any blooms or anything. So you pull your mulch back, put the iron sulfate down, then push push the mulch back around them. And uh, then I'd probably do the same thing about a month later too. Okay. And and what about the shade? Is that, is that okay that they're in? Yeah, they can handle shade. shade. Okay. It's just awesome. the competition of the tree that's that could be problematic for them just in general. So yeah, they're not super close to the tree. I mean, they're like, I mean, four feet, four five, four feet width. Yeah, feet but away. a Japanese maple is going to have a lot of surface, you okay. know, a lot of okay. horizontal roots. Every tree does. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mike. I Certainly. It. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Hi, this is Charlie Brennan. On behalf of my wife, Beth, my son, Charlie, my daughter, Lindley, we'd like to wish you and your family the best of this holiday season and keep it on 1120. Happy Holidays from KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head out to Glendale. That's where Tracy grew up and see what's going on with Earl. Earl, how are you today? Pretty good, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have two horn beams. They're about 20 uh, feet tall on either side of the front of the house. And every year during the summer, I trim off about, oh, maybe two inches just to shape them up and have them look nice. But gradually, they're growing closer to the house. My question is, say, mid-late January, when all the leaves are off, can I cut those back about a foot all the way around and then shape the top a little bit? Um, is a foot too much to take off of those? Uh, it shouldn't be. You know, it's how wide are they? Just are they? Oh, I, I'd say there might be. Um, Six or eight feet wide. So they're they're the really the narrow growing ones kind of grow yeah. like a flame a flame. They go vertically, yeah, vertically up toward the right. top of the house. Right. Uh you might uh it may be a little bit dramatic. I wouldn't necessarily do it routinely all the way around. I'd try yeah. it a couple different spots and you know, take a look at and see what happens. Okay. The problem when you do that is 
you could get it back to the point where there's no longer functional buds on those particular branches, and okay. then consequently you end up with just sort of a skeletized look. Right. Well, maybe six inches instead of a foot. Do you think that might be better? Yeah, I'd give that a try. Okay. Okay, I'll do that then. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and yeah, those are really kind of spectacular trees. And uh, narrow and everything else is too bad they're planted, you know, they were planted too close to your house because that, you know, can be problematic. Let's see, where should we go? Oh, that, that's, we finished with Earl. Let's go to Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you? Good morning. How are you? Very good. i uh, got two questions for you. One is uh, my son and daughter-in-law gave me a, an amaryllis uh, bulb, and she said they bought it a while back, and they put it in the basin in the dark room. And when she went to get it out to wrap it for Christmas, it was about three inches tall and had like four blooms on it already, with oh. no potting soil or anything. So I didn't know what I can do with that. Uh, basically, just put it in some potting soil and put it in front of a nice window. Are the flowers okay, finished? That's... Flowers finished? Uh, no, no. There's still another. It's a double. It's supposed to be like three or four or five flowers on it. I've never seen it. It's beautiful. But I didn't know if it would still take off if I just put it in potting soil. Yeah, you know, make sure it's potting. Pot, use potting mix, not potting soil. And uh, okay. I don't know how big the bulb is, but make sure there's about at least about an inch or so wider. On uh, let's say maybe two inches wider than what the bulb is. And then don't okay, plant yeah, don't plant the bulb down. You know, the entire bulb below the surface. Leave the part that's coming up with the flowers on it. Leave that above right. the soil surface. Then when it finishes flowering, then uh, just grow it like a regular house plant, sunny window, uh, water it occasionally, and then it'll start producing leaves, and then you'll go through that process of what she did last year. So I can just go ahead and put it in the soil and leave it sit till the blooms fall off and then uh, leave it in the, in the pot, right? Yeah, basically, and then cut the flower stalk off, and then at that same time you'll start to see some uh, foliage coming out of the bulb too. Okay, and also on the cactuses, is there a difference between the Christmas cactus and Easter cactus? Yeah, just the time of year they bloom because there's Thanksgiving cactus too. So it's mainly sequential type things. Really? Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. And let's head to Lori's. Hi, Lori. Hi, how are you, Mr. Miller? Very good. You've helped me many times before in the past, so I trust your advice. I have a beautiful um, peace lily, and she was doing good all summer. And then when the mixture of the temperatures came into play, one day she's drooping. I'll water her. She perks up. Two days later, she's drooping. And I'm wondering if it's more of shock to the plant because of this up-down, up-down temperature thing, even though she's in the house. I thought I'd call and get your advice because I don't want her to get root rot either. Right. That's, you know, I'd be, you know, more more concerned about that. But if it's inside, then the temperature fluctuations, whether you mean the furnace coming on or anything else, if it's not where a heat vent is blowing on or air conditioning vent or whatever, uh, it shouldn't impact it, you know, that much. What size, you know, is a plant really have a lot of stems coming up out of the ground? Oh, yes. So She's, she's big. I mean, she's... She's hardy until this crazy weather came in. <laughs> well, maybe uh, t- 
take a look. You know, if you can lift it up, I, I'm assuming you probably have it in a saucer. Take a look and see if there's a bunch of roots coming out of the drainage holes in the bottom. Maybe it's time that it, I wouldn't do it now. I'd wait until we, you know, until Valentine's Day or a little bit later. Uh, it needs to get into a little bit bigger pot. Okay. Either that or it needs to be divided because it is so pot-bound or root-bound that even when you put moisture there, it absorbs as much as it can, but it, there's not enough moisture there in general to keep it from doing, the, let's say, the wilt down. Okay. So transfer comes spring. Yeah, sometime after, you know, just as the days get longer. So Valentine's Day to Ides of March, something like that. You can do it All later right. than that. That's the earliest I would do it. Okay, then. I thank you very much because I really want to keep her. <laughs> well, she looks so pretty when she's bloomed. Oh, and yeah. She, she's so, what do you call statuous. Ah. She's real statuous. <laughs> and I'm like, now she's like a weeping willow. And I'm like, what's going on, darling? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so thanks a lot. I appreciate yeah. it, Mr. Miller. Well, thank you. Thanks for calling. And anybody else questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Last week, a gentleman called in, and uh, he, he asked me if I ever heard of a, an insect called scabies. I think it was scabies. And scabies, I, you know, just off the top of my head, I said, well, that sounds like some kind of spider mite. And I did a little research because I still really I didn't know. I was just kind of guessing that it was going to be a spider mite. But scabies, S-C-A-B-I-E-S, is actually a mite, but it's a mite that doesn't impact plant material. It impacts people's skin. So what it is is a female gets in there. She burrows down into your skin. And if you have itchy areas and you've been to a dermatologist and or you haven't been and you're, you don't know exactly what's causing it, uh, it could be scabies. And scabies, again, once a female has been, uh, let's say, pollinated by a male, then she can lay eggs for a long, long time. So she actually burrows tunnels down into your skin and causes a lump, and that lump will start itching. So consequently, I have been to a dermatologist, and I have eczema, so I don't have scabies, but that, you know, I'm, I was a little bit... Uh, kind of taken back when I realized that, yes, it is a mite, but uh, it's a mite for humans and not, uh, guess what, not plant material. And how it's transferred is like if somebody has them and you, let's say, shake hands with them or whatever it happens to be, but it's contact between people. So this six feet apart is probably preventing it from getting any worse than what it is. So anyway, scabies is actually a mite for people, not plant material. And now let's head up to Ferguson and go into Kevin's yard. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Mr. Miller. How are you this morning? Very good. Thank you. Hey, I've got this dogwood. It has to be over 41 years old because I've lived in the house that long. It's pretty big. And I noticed that on the branches, some of the bark has fallen off in about a four-inch wide pattern all the way around it and then there's little boreholes all the way around the branch would you know what that is and is there anything i can do uh so so the bark is entirely all the way the entire length of the width of the branch all the way around the bark yeah, is well, like about a 
and about a three or four inch wide strip all in a circular all the way around the branch. Yeah. And then underneath there is the borehole. Uh, I probably, you know, bores I wouldn't be overly concerned with, you know, myself. I mean, dogwoods can get them, but to me, this sounds like the tree is old and it's having an age problem more so than an insect, you know, problem or something like that. So when you, when the bark, you know, where the bark is, let's say, no longer on the branches, do you see the bark on the ground or is it just like shredded and still hanging on to the branch? Um. It, it was just gone. I just noticed one day I was looking saying, what is that? And it's on, like, at least. And where it's at is where the branches are a good four or five inch in diameter. So it's at the major intersection? Um, no, it's just partway up the branches and such. Yeah. I would, you know, to me it sounds like an aging thing more so than anything else. Unless, again, you know, the reason why I ask about the shredded, you know, bark still hanging on, because uh, you don't have a deer problem, do you? No, no, not not where I live in Ferguson. Okay. I've never seen a deer there in my life. So. Okay. So, to me, it just sounds like an aging process more so than anything. I mean, dogwoods can, for the most part, boars are not going to go onto branches, they're going to go on the major trunk. That's where they go, and usually in the bottom two feet or so. Now, ash trees with oh. ash, you know, with ash borers, they go at the top of the tree. But with the dogwoods, it should be on the trunk, the lower two to three feet of the trunk, not along the branches. Well, now, this is a branch. The funny thing is that the holes are probably an eighth inch big and just in a, in a circular pattern all the way around the branch. So, Well, to me, that's... That sounds like a sap sucker, like a bird. Okay. Oh, possibility. Is there anything I can do, or is that dogwood reaching the end? Because, like I said, I moved in there 41 years ago, and, and it's a pretty big dogwood. So, well, yeah, there's not too know. much. Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Just enjoy it for as long as you can, and uh, okay. you know, don't do, don't fool with it. Okay. How long do dogwoods usually live? Do you know? Well, I mean, 40 years is, I mean, you're getting kind of, I don't want to say near the end of its life, but that's pretty, yeah. you've taken good care of it. Yeah. Well, it's taken good care of me. A lot of, a lot of beautiful springs and beautiful falls, so. Well, sounds perfect. Well, thanks, yeah. Kevin. Well, thank All you right. for the help. Yes. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for a football Sunday on KMOX as the Chiefs take on the Falcons. Touchdown, Kansas City! Pre-game at 11, kickoff 12 noon. The Chiefs, the Falcons, hear it here on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Yes, folks, just remember, if you have any herbicides, fertilizers, anything to do with the outdoors sitting in your garage after these last couple cold days, hopefully they didn't freeze. And your fertilizer, anything granular, you should never leave sit on the floor because it could cause it to more or less, I don't want to say freeze, but it could cause some humidity and moisture to get in there, and that could be problematic too. So always keep stuff off the floor and any kind of liquids, you're better off to just buy enough so you're running out of it at the end of the season. But with our crazy weather, there's no way to know that. And for 
your trees and shrubs this time of year, there's something called deep root feeding that you could do to your trees and shrubs. What this is is you get an earth auger and you get an electric drill. And then what an earth auger is a drill bit that has about a one-inch diameter. And then you go out about halfway out from the trunk or the main branches, if you have multiple branches or stems coming up on shrubs, and halfway out from that to however far the branches go out, leaning-wise or growing, and you start augering holes. You make a concentric circle, and then you backfill it. So the hole's about six inches deep. You backfill it with compost. Then you move out another two feet, and then you do another circle, and then you do keep going until you go just beyond the drip line, the extension of the branches, and that's deep root feeding, and that feeds your soil, and that will feed your plants. So let's go now to Lou, and Lou is in St. Louis. Hi, Lou. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Um, sure. I have some questions about seed starting. Um, one thing I've heard uh, that um, soaking uh, old seeds in um, a, a solution of hydrogen peroxide and water will kind of re- revive them. And then I'm wondering, is, is it beneficial to um, insert seeds into these uh, seed-starting pellets that expand when you uh, soak them in water? And does that help them uh, to uh, germinate? Well, it's, it's what it is is just a sort of a, a circumstance that's well-drained and everything else. So it's not necessarily going to help them germinate any more than if you had, you know, some potting mix and you just put them in the potting mix and just kept it moist because that seed germinating, you know, pellet uh, basically just maintains moisture. So that's kind of the the advantage of that. And as far as seed that's dysfunctional, you know, to try to revive it with something, that's going to be very, very iffy because basically if a seed is no longer functional, it just means that it's, let's say, living part is no longer there and Putting it in a hydrogen peroxide or anything else is not necessarily going to make something that's not alive come back alive again. Okay, so I had some, uh, I don't know, three or four year old um, tomato seeds, and um, I didn't, I didn't soak them in hydrogen peroxide, but I put them in those seed pellets, and they, they uh, all germinated. So. Great. Sounds perfect. Yeah. So I mean, it's so. In other words, the seeds were still viable and functional. That's, you know, and putting them in that was just, uh, like I said, it makes it so you don't have to worry so much about the moisture initially. Okay. So is there is there any uh, different time limits on the viability of different types of seeds? Uh, they all are somewhat different. It just depends upon the temperature they're being stored at and everything else as well. But once you get past, you know, basically two years, the the percentage of germination rate goes down dramatically. So the first year you're going to lose a certain percentage. By the second year of them sitting in a pack or whatever it happens to be, and certainly not in a plastic bag, then the germination rate is even going to be less. Okay, and then um, if you have some older seeds and they do germinate, are the, if, if they've been if they're older, are the plants not as vigorous then, or does that matter? No, it, it shouldn't matter as long as you have them in good growing mediums and you're fertilizing them and taking care of them that way. So as long as they're you know, it shouldn't make any difference at all as far as health wise. Now, if they germinate, that's great. But if they germinate and then don't put a secondary, let's say, set of leaves or anything else like that out. In other words, they just don't have the original cotyledons, which is a small leaves, which are, you know, not the sh- normal shape of a leaf. Then consequently, 
it's they're probably not going to do anything other than germinate, and that's going to be it. Okay. All right. I really appreciate the information. Thank you very much, and happy holidays. Well, same to you. And let's go to Mary's, and she lives in Mascuda. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Um, about a week ago, my daughter gave me a large, beautiful poinsettia, and um, I don't do very well with poinsettias. Either I water them too much or, or something, but someone told me that you should use take three ice cubes and put them in the plant every day. Is that a good idea? Well, you could do that. I don't know how big they are, but uh, what that does is just, you know, the poinsettia doesn't necessarily want to be dry, but it doesn't want to be overwatered, and that's overwatering is, you know, problematic. So you could give it a shot and see what happens. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you so much. <laughs> sure, Mark. and just make sure you're putting it in front of a really bright, sunny window, too. That's a problem. <laughs> oh. Okay. That's probably as much. I mean, the watering is great, but if you don't have the sunlight, I mean, it's not going to, you know, do very well at all. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. Luckily, my mother was never very good with plant materials inside or out, but she had poinsettia that just lasted for a long, long time. She always had it in a bedroom window that faced the south. And even though we were had maple trees all around us because we were on Maple Lane, uh, you know there was enough light that this poinsettia really. She didn't move it in and out of the closet and all that other stuff, and we she got color off those bracts routinely. So she just got very lucky with that particular one. So good luck, Mary. And now let's go to Chuck's yard, and he lives in Oakville. Hi, Chuck. Good morning, sir. Uh, about twelve years ago, my wife and I went to the botanical garden. And outside the gift shop, they had these different type of cap cactuses for sale, little bitty things. Well, we brought one home, and it's called a cathedral cactus. This thing's about eight foot tall right now, <laughs> and it's got probably 20 shoots going up in the air. Um, and I've got to put uh, uh, twine around it just to keep it from falling on the ground. Is there anything I can do to uh, uh, maintain this thing or uh, cut cutoffs, or what do I do? Uh, basically, it needs to have, I mean, uh, this is a huge one, and so it was a cathedral or a candelabra? Uh, it sounds like candelabra, but it doesn't really matter. But, it, you know, I mean, as far as support-wise, if the major trunk is not strong enough to support the weight of all the other branches that are coming off, then you're going to have to, you know, I mean— Put some kind of pipe or something or brooms, broomstick or something down there and, you know, basically give the main trunk support more so than just wrapping around the individual branches. Okay, yeah, what I've done is put four bamboo poles okay. uh, around it, and I've wrapped the twine around the outside of the cactus, and uh, it's, it's, you know, the thing is just so big, uh, the reason I... Uh, I'm calling is because we went out a few days ago and it was laying on its side, <laughs> and uh, so I had to repot it. Right. And so it's uh, it's in a bigger pot and I've got it in there pretty good, but I, you know, the poor thing just won't stand on its own. Yeah. So it just sounds. I don't want to say it's the the main original trunk is just not strong enough to support all that you know all that weight. Okay. Okay. 
Very good. Well, thanks a whole lot for your show. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you do have questions or concerns, we have some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. KMOX Weekend at your service. Sponsored by Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Nothing like holiday music. Yeah. Rock and roll. Anyway, we do have some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head to Maryville and go into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I, I heard one of your callers, a few callers back, talk about how long seeds can remain alive and active, and it just made me think of Hearing somewhere about programs, usually I think in one of the northern Scandinavian countries, where they're preserving these seeds in case everything goes wrong. <laughs> and I just wonder if that's on the level, or is there, they put the seeds in some sort of chronic suspension. Or I, I was just curious if you knew anything about that, keeping these seeds uh, alive for hundreds of years and so on. Yeah, my guess is it kind of... It wouldn't be totally frozen, but it'd be in a cold environment would be probably the best way to ensure that they're going to stay viable. But, uh, yeah, something like that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And uh, if we're worried about the world, you know, not being functional 100 years from now, I don't want to be such a jerk, but I don't really care what happens 100 years from now. I'm, <laughs> I'm 71 right now, so I'd be 171. Who cares? <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks. Just thought I'd ask. Yeah, sure. No, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard of them too. And uh, a lot of times, or they'll, you know, archaeologists will be digging along someplace and they'll find some kind of seeds or something, you know, in a very dry environment or whatever. And they try and, and they're, I mean, the seeds are just not viable. So, you know, maybe yeah, that works. Sometimes they find a seed inside uh, this, uh, uh, this super hard sap that right. they may find an insect in, and they think they can get it out and revive the plant. But <laughs> I was just curious of your opinion. Yeah, I don't Thanks. think so. <laughs> no, I'm sure there's people that experts that can do it, but um, who cares? Anyway, let's now head to Waterloo and go into Mike's yard. Hi, Michael. Hey, I had a question for you about pruning or uh, using a pole saw on the sides of trees. I'm used to pruning fruit trees, apple trees, peach trees. We do it close to the trunk. My sister says, oh, you're supposed to leave about two inches off the main trunk for the branch to prevent disease or infestations. She's wrong. She's wrong. Yes, you're doing it right. Basically, you want to leave about a quarter to a half inch. That exposes the the cambium layer, and the cambium layer is actually the healing layer. Leaving a stub is the worst thing you can possibly do, whether it's two inches, four inches, or six inches, and that's because it's an invitation for insects and potentially diseases. So, no, she's wrong. Okay, yeah, I had continued to do it inside of the tree, and she told me that her arborist told her <laughs> to leave some extension. And, yeah, I cut off dead stubs that are on the sides anyway. Right, so. exactly. Okay. So you're doing Appreciate it exactly right. So I don't know what yeah, our well, arborist was saying, but uh, <laughs> he, I don't want to say he's wrong, but he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't. <laughs> We're good. I appreciate your confirmation, and that'll uh, 
just give me one more feather to to utilize. So I appreciate it. Good day to you. Sure. Same to you. Happy New Year. Yeah, but that's for anybody. Any kind of pruning you're doing on any kind of tree at all, do not leave a stub. A lot of times I see, you know, people that are, let's say, limbing up their tree because they want to have more sun hit the ground or whatever it happens to be. And they leave a stub of whatever amount of inches. It's just an invitation for potential problems. And also, even if you prune correctly and you only leave a quarter to a half inch stub, I mean, the pruning sealers of the days of old used to really be functional. And the reason for that was there was lead in them. And lead prevented bacterial problems. But then when we all got a little bit more environmentally conscious, we took the lead out of that. So now it's strictly a cosmetic type thing. So it's like putting makeup on, a, on, a, on an open wound on the tree. Uh, so it doesn't really do anything except make it so it doesn't look quite as obvious that something's been pruned off recently. So there's all kinds of different things. So thanks a lot, Mike, for calling in. And uh, I don't know if we can probably get another call in. Probably not. But anyway, I want to thank everybody for calling in. And uh, wow, what a year this has been. And thanks to everybody that, again, I'm going to thank everybody that did these holiday decorations. I mean, it has just been (laughs) unbelievable. And maybe it's because people had more time or maybe it's just I haven't been as conscious as I have. We always drive around through the neighborhoods and stuff. But in South City, there's a couple neighborhoods, and the ones I really like are the ones where, and I don't know exactly how they do this, but they get a radio station frequency, usually FM, and it plays music, and then the music is coordinated with the way the lights go. And there's a couple houses and a couple situations where, I mean, the songs and the music and everything else is just unbelievable. So I don't know if these people are sound engineers or how they're able to do it, but I'm very, very impressed with that. I'm not going to do it myself, but I, uh, you know, every year where there's a couple places that we go by, and just in general, just through the neighborhoods. Now, personally, I'm not into inflatables because, again, as I said during the beginning of the show, when the inflatables during the day, when they sort of dehydrate and lose their air, then they're just laying you know, on top of whatever it happens to be, whether it's in your lawn whether it's a bed space or anything else, and that's plastic, and that could create an environment where the humidity is high and it could you know, lead to some kind of fungus, bacteria, virus-type problems. So I'm sure maybe that's not a problem. Maybe I'm just you know, kind of full of it. But uh, some, of these, some of these yards we go by, and they must have, number-wise, I can't tell how many different things they have, but they have a huge amount of inflatables and other things. It's very, very entertaining, but I certainly wouldn't want to be uh, involved in that from, let's say, the aspect as I'm talking about because I'm kind of a plant nut, I guess, so I'm a little bit more concerned about my plants. But then people will say, well, you have certain things, you know, lights hanging on your trees. Is that going to impact your mugo pine as far as the growing points and things like that? Well, I've been doing it for quite a while, and there hasn't been a problem. Now, maybe these people are saying, with our inflatables, we've been doing it for several years, and it hasn't been a problem. So anyway, thanks to everybody, and have a happy new year coming up. And uh, boy, oh boy, what a year this has been. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.